Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with students, postdocs, and other virologists so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I'm hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On June 15th, 2022, we talked with Grant Buchek, a graduate student at John Hopkins University in Baltimore. He received his bachelor's in biology from the University of Georgia. He is currently examining how temperature differences in the microenvironment of the respiratory tract affect function of the mitochondria and virus infection. Thanks for um, uh, speaking with us today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm Grant Buchek. I am finishing up the third year of my PhD in Dr. Andy Pekosch's lab at Johns Hopkins University. Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Georgia. I did my undergrad at the University of Georgia and um, I did a year as a technician after graduating. And then, and then following that year, I moved up to Baltimore. Uh, joined the program I'm a part of now and, and got started on my PhD research. Great. And can you tell us how you first became interested in like science and then virology? Yeah, I don't have one of those kind of uh, storybook tales as, as far as how I got into science uh, to begin with. It's just always been something that I've been drawn to. Um, and and it's always kind of some somebody who I think through that that course of the undergrad years where you're deciding your career and everything, I was always worried that the career that I chose would be like eventually would kind of let me down, like I'd get bored of it or something like that. Like that was my biggest fear. And science was definitely the area that always kind of helped calm those nerves. It's like you can you can definitely spend multiple lifetimes uh, with in a single field of research and have um, just just so, so much to explore. So I think that was something I've always been drawn to and always made me feel that there was always going to be enough there to, to entertain me. And I'm, you know, now I'm finding it, it does a whole lot of other emotions as well, but, um, but no, no. So that's, that's what drawn, drawn me to it to begin with. And then how did you um, sort of get to your specific institution and your specific PhD lab? What drew you to those particular places? Yeah, so I had um, a little bit of a, a winding road, I guess you could say. So I started out my um, undergrad research at, at UGA was, was focused in the world of parasitology. So um, I started out studying uh, toxoplasma and, and plasmodium and studying those diseases. And I think it was um, really there that exposed me to this world of um, kind of host pathogen interactions. Like I'd always been interested naturally in cell biology because that was fascinating, but then kind of recognizing there was a whole nother level to this world, you know, when you have uh, infections and that, you know, there's all this uh, interplay and crosstalk and defense and evasion between hosts and pathogens. Um, I mean, that that's really what I think took my interest in, in science to the next level. And, um, and, and, and again, just kind of made me feel really comfortable that I could do this forever. Absolutely. This is so interesting. And so um, as far as kind of deciding to, to pursue a PhD, that's, that's where that um, came from. And so um, I was really interested in, in parasitology. So I focused my applications and in, in you know, basically the best programs I could find and really was hoping to get into 
to um, some of them and ended up being lucky enough to get into Johns Hopkins where there's a huge malaria research core. And um, that's what drew me to the university. But uh, it was actually kind of some more twists and turns to get me to where I'm at now and obviously in the field of virology. So after getting um, started and, and doing rotations within the program, I, I decided, you know what, like, why not switch it up again? Let's, let's make things interesting and, and get exposed to a new field. And so I kind of took a left turn and joined a, a mitochondrial biology lab that was studying mitochondria in the context of, of a lot of different diseases, both infectious and non-infectious. Um, and I did my thesis research in that lab for a year and, um, after a year, the, the PI of that lab ended up deciding to move their lab to Germany. And that was a little bit of a um, further move than I was, than I was uh, kind of wanting to make. So um, started to, to look for other labs in the department where I could uh, find a home. And um, it was kind of a natural transition into, into Andy's lab because um, there was a collaboration that already existed looking at mitochondria in the context of viral infections. And so I really kind of sunk my efforts into, into that project, that collaboration, joined Andy's lab um, and have been. So, so I'm relatively, definitely relatively new to the field of virology. And um, so, so that's intimidating, but also super exciting because there's so much, you know, that wave of, of learning and new experiences and new people and perspectives is um, it's always such a fun time. So that's kind of what landed me here. I kind of started out parasitology, then more cell biology and, um, um, you know, kind of back to the world of, of pathogen interactions. Right. And can you tell us a little bit about your lab and then maybe talk about sort of your thesis work? It's sort of the bigger goals and maybe some of the techniques that you use to do it. Absolutely. So, um, Andy's lab is, is a super fun lab. Um, that's kind of before the pandemic was, would say primarily interested in influenza, uh, characterizing, uh, influenza viruses year to year, um, kind of the differences that, that help them replicate or inhibit their replication or, you know, escape of immune responses and things like that. But the pandemic hit and then there was a huge branch of, of COVID research that sprung up in the lab and is still going. So we're at the moment kind of 50-50 split between influenza and COVID. And my research is kind of a, a little bit of a unique niche within the lab in that um, the lab is, is interested in a lot of different ideas. But the one that's kind of most centrally focused of my research is the idea of this uh, temperature gradient within the respiratory tract. So the, you know, the, the upper respiratory tract and the nasal cavity is a cooler microenvironment of about 33 degrees Celsius than the lower respiratory tract was closer to that core body temperature of 37. And so, um, the, the lab has done some work in the past to characterize how these changes in the, the microenvironment of these temperatures influences viral replication and host immune responses. Um, but there hasn't been a whole lot of work done characterizing the changes in host cell biology at these two temperatures. Um, and so that's where kind of my project steps in. So my research focuses on characterizing uh, changes in mitochondrial biology at the two temperatures of the respiratory tract. And, you know, after kind of establishing that characterization, we're interested in 
kind of relating that to how these changes in host um, cell biology really influence and are kind of are directly connected to the changes that we do see in viral replication and host uh, immune responses. And I guess to just ask more broadly, is it, are these differences in temperature, do they have effects on sort of the pathogenesis or the ability of viruses to infect different cells? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of one of those answers where it's, it's applicable in, in so many different settings. Right. But um, yeah, so, so we're looking at, at kind of a couple of main things right off the bat. So, so the changes in temperature, definitely we do see, and we know from prior prior experiments that there is changes in kind of the replication rate. So, you know, if we're looking hour to hour during the course of infection, it, what what's what you know differences between those temperatures? So we do see differences there, and we also see differences in kind of peak titers that are reached between these environments. So that is what starts to make it pretty complicated. You know, as far as you know, does it matter if it if it replicates more slowly if it reaches a similar titer, or you know, go down that rabbit hole? But we we kind of see differences across the board. And one of the things that also adds a layer of complexity to it is that different viruses display different differences. So year to year um, and strain to strain, it can um, vary as far as, you know, kind of those, those differences that we see. Right. And I mean, I know for like SARS-CoV-2, there's a lot of differences just between sort of the ability of the virus to infect the upper respiratory tract, the lower respiratory tract. And some of this has been tied to, you know, the binding affinity maybe for the receptor, but it makes you wonder if there's some other factors, you know, like, like this that are also involved as well. Yeah. And that's where, so we kind of try to pull in as many different techniques as we can. So there's, um, you know, kind of some of the things we're interested in doing are, are metabolic profiling and that kind of gets at the host cell, you know, are there's differences like fundamental metabolic profiles of these cells that influences their ab- ability to mount uh, an immune response. And maybe that is what explains some of the differences and, uh, but mixing in other techniques like RNA seq to see if there's, you know, differences in the, the translation profiles. Um, and, and, and all of these, you know, kind of different ways of looking at it is, is it host cell mediated? Is it some just maybe environment mediated and seeing whether or not there's any kind of, at least across these different settings, because like we say, there is differences um, that we see between viruses and things like this, but is there something that kind of holds throughout all of these different uh, settings that we can kind of point to? And I think the, one of the most exciting settings to think about this is kind of, um, for vaccine purposes, you know, and, and kind of how can we maybe tailor uh, a vaccine to, to really boost an immune response in a certain area or make up for a deficit in another. So, um, you know, hopefully with, if, you know, if that's the end goal, then we can, you know, end up recognizing differences between the upper and lower respiratory tract and being able to target them for, for therapeutic purposes. And are the experiments that you do, are you using sort of cell lines or is this in vivo work? How do you study it? Yeah, that really gets to kind of your, your point then to about tropism and things like that. So we use um, both immortal cell lines and primary human nasal epithelial cell cultures. And so um, some of the kind of initial experiments we've done as far as temperature related, it's, it's great and kind of uh, much more high throughput 
to do the immortalized cell lines, get these initial characterizations. But it's really amazing that we have the, the ability to, to go then to these, these primary cell lines that really represent the, the nasal epithelium to, to get at questions of, okay, are we affecting different cell types in different ways? Are we seeing differences in infection based off of, you know, one cell type um, generating the, the main phenotype we're seeing and things like that. So um, um, I think that's one of the kind of the most interesting aspects of the research in that sense too, because then you can get as close to your, you know, basically in, in vitro, what you can get to uh, what we're seeing in our, you know, nasal, nasal passages. Right, right. Um, and I guess, yeah, I was reading recently, there's like a new good air interfaces, you know, different um, systems in a way that are even fancier, more, more physiologic, as it were. So you can get sort of more and more closer to the in vivo um, host, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so our... Um... Our culture systems do use that kind of air-liquid interface, so we differentiate them into um, kind of the major cell types that you do see. So we have ciliated cells that are, you know, vibrating with their cilia on top, and um, their cultures are super interesting to look at. But, but like you say, this this kind of technology is advancing so fast. You see these, you know, larger and larger organoids that represent these things, and um, that, I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating to see the, the advances that are, that are kind of being created. And that's what I think is really cool because as far as, again, that kind of for the field of virology and host pathogen interactions, I think you can are able to merge so many different things because you have these representative cell cultures that are combined with, you know, a lot of life. I feel like a lot of times it's kind of these almost physics-based labs that are building the, the organoids and then um, my previous lab did a lot of imaging. So kind of taking these imaging, advanced imaging techniques to these cultures, um, and, and, uh, combining, obviously the, the omics world is, is large. So combining all this together in this setting is I think super exciting. And I guess, are you presenting some of this work at ASV this year? Yeah, so I'll be presenting a poster, um, kind of highlighting the initial characterization that we've done, the differences in the mitochondrial networks between the upper and lower respiratory tracts. So I think that the results I, I'm excited by, we see some interesting things and in that there is differences in the mitochondrial networks. There's differences in, in uh, membrane potential, some functional characteristics of the mitochondria. And, um, and kind of, as I mentioned before, we're really excited now to kind of take this to the infection setting and, and tie it back to the, the immune differences and immune responses that we're seeing. So, um, I'll be presenting a poster in the, um, innate immune group. And, uh, and it's one of the, like I said, this quite, quite new to the field still. So this is something that I'm super excited about to kind of um, obviously get the opportunity to talk to people, see what they make of, uh, of the research, the findings, the initial characterization, because, um, you know, getting into a field, there's a lot that you try and learn, but there's always so much that you don't know. So it's, I think, I mean, something I'm super excited about from a, from a learning perspective. Cool. And could you talk, so, you know, some people may know about the mitochondria, you know, and sort of how that interacts or interfaces with immunity, but can you just give us a brief summary about kind of what is known about that? Um, what is the mitochondria? How, how is it involved in innate immunity? Yeah. So, so mitochondria, I think are 
super interesting organelles because they're so important during homeostasis for keeping, maintaining cellular health, but also during infection settings. So especially when we're thinking about the respiratory tract, we're thinking about a lot of ciliated cells, pushing those, the mucociliary escalator, forming those tight junctions, all of these kind of functions of the respiratory tract are in a lot of ways are mediated by mitochondria. So the movement of the cilia needs a lot of energy to occur. So mitochondria directly uh, provide, provide the ATP necessary for that, for that um, physical barrier to infection. Um, mitochondria are calcium stores, they're generators of reactive oxygen species and kind of that that ion and nutrient homeostasis is really important for, again, cell health and those, those tight junctions and that physical barrier in the respiratory tract. But during infection, they're, they're even more important, you could say, because they're kind of central mediators of innate immune signaling. So um, kind of in early stages, they're um, signaling platforms for MAVs that, that, that kind of facilitate the induction of the type one interferon response, and that's kind of the general antiviral profile. And, um, you know, in, in maybe more severe settings when, when the cell has made the quote unquote decision to undergo uh, apoptosis, um, the permeabilization of the outer mitochondrial membrane and the release of cytochrome C is important for that, that induction of apoptosis to, to kill the cell, which um, you know, presumably limits viral replication. So, so both during, you know, kind of the, the maintaining the physical barrier to infection and mounting that innate immune response, um, mitochondria are, are incredibly important organelles. And there's more work that, that is a little bit outside the scope of my project, but a lot of groups are starting to look at, you know, metabolic profiles of adaptive immune response T cells and B cells and how the metabolic profile of those cells really uh, contributes to their effector function. So definitely important organelles um, in something, I mean, I'm always gonna be on their side. So that's, <laughs> that's my fight for them. Um, are there enough differences in the way that mitochondria function in different species that they could also be a determinant of sort of permissivity or restriction? That's a great um, kind of topic to bring up. I haven't thought, and you can, you mentioned this earlier as well with the, the avian flu and, and kind of thinking about maybe crossover events or things like this. Um, it's actually not something that I personally have thought a lot about in my project. And this is exactly what I was, you know, excited about for, for ASV, getting to interact with virologists and get their perspectives. That's super fascinating. I don't know a whole lot about um, differences in mitochondrial networks between humans and, and animals and things like that, but it's um, absolutely something I think would be super interesting to look into. And Yeah, like you wonder how, how conserved like the components are, are there sort of um, feces specific components, things like that. I mean, it's obviously a very core function. Yeah. So, um, a big topic of my previous lab's research was looking at mitochondrial quality control. So, you know, every now and then mitochondria become damaged or proteins kind of uh, become damaged and you need to either, or, or get rid of whole mitochondria or, or mitochondrial proteins. And we've learned a lot about how human cells do this by studying yeast. And so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of overlap, uh, but it's, it's not identical, you know, the, the proteins and, and the pathways are not identical. So, um, you know, kind of based off of that, I would, I would assume that there's definitely some overlap, but 
surely some unique differences as well. And be really interesting to see if those differences come up in, in areas that are important for, for antiviral signaling. Right, right. So um, I guess then just to finish, it sounds like you're fairly early in your PhD. Do you have any sort of early reflections about where you want to go after your PhD? Are you interested in academia or um, uh, industry? Do you have any sort of notions about that? Yeah, so it's something that I've kind of been exploring. Our, our department has a lot of great resources. So I'm kind of surveying the landscape now. And I think that there's um, a lot of what, well, I guess the thing that excites me the most is that there's a lot of opportunity. And so um, I'll have to kind of spend some more time over the next couple of years deciding which exactly avenue is going to be kind of the best fit for me and my personality. But I mean, I, I, I think the one thing that the pandemic has kind of shown is that there, this research, and that's another thing that excites me about virology, it's not happening in a vacuum. And there's a lot of uh, importance to the basic research that, that gets conducted a lot of times at, at uh, right, universities and things like that. But there's also the, the potential to um, hugely impact um, in the world of public health through the creation of vaccines and, and things like that. So um, I've, I've, always been focused on academia because I think that academia does a great job of, of kind of getting you ready for that environment. And um, I think that there's some, some extremely unique things about that. So I'm really happy to be a part of an academic setting right now, but that's one thing I do think the pandemic has kind of um, shown is that there's a huge possibility for, for impact um, moving into uh, a government space or an industry space where you're able to kind of do more of the translational side of things. Right. Um, and then just to finish, I guess, what has the last two years been like for you? So it's, it's not an easy time to be a graduate student. It's, you know, during the middle of a pandemic. So how's it been like for you sort of personally and professionally? One thing I'm super thankful for is that I was able to get into my program uh, kind of the year before the pandemic hit. So I was able to get that uh, first year of in-person building relationships and connections and learning the environment in person. So that's one thing that I think that was um, really nice kind of grounding me throughout shutdown and um, virtual work and everything like that. Um, but I, I think it's kind of weird because I think at least, I don't know if this is just my perspective, but I think a lot of my, my personal efforts and, and, you know, talking to, to my like kind of fellow uh, cohort mates is that we all spend a lot of time trying to push things forward um, as if there wasn't a pandemic, you know, trying to maintain progress and um, kind of find a way to make it normal that I haven't, I don't know if there's been a whole lot of time to kind of reflect and, and see where those changes um, have come up. So I think a lot of effort has just been kind of fighting to, to maintain what was before. Um, but I think that one thing I'm noticing now definitely is how excited I am to go back to kind of in-person large events where you're really interacting with your department or obviously things like conferences where there's a whole lot of new conversations and new ideas floating around and things like that. So I think that as far as kind of... Um, kind of a detrimental impact, I think that kind of loss of, of conversation has been something that I'll miss, um, or at least kind of retrospectively will miss. But, um, but at the same time, I think it's, it kind of mentioned, maybe, maybe it's almost 
something lucky to experience as a grad student uh, in, a, in the field of virology, in the world of virology, because it's amazing. To, I think one of the biggest maybe complaints or shortcomings of, of like the academic setting is you do spend a lot of time at the bench, you know, and doing that basic, basic science. And, and it's so important. And that's why we're here. But it's really amazing to get the opportunity to, to see that it, it's, it really is, um, it's, it's so important. And getting to see the coronavirus researchers kind of, you know, that we're doing this in the dark when nobody was, quote unquote, right. So it's, obviously there's, there's lots of great research that is appreciated, but you know, that kind of comes to the forefront and all of a sudden CNN wants interviews with them or, you know, New York times wants to interview them for articles. It's, it's really amazing to see that, um, the things that we tell ourselves that make this research important and make this work important really are true. And, um, so I think that's something I'm thankful for having kind of looking back at the process and, and everything. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much. And we look forward to hearing about your work um, at ASB. Really appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, and other podcast providers, or at lmtv.podbean.com. 